Hello, and welcome to the ASHI podcast. My name is Gonzalo Berman, and I serve as the Editor-in-Chief of Antimicrobial Stewardship and Healthcare Epidemiology. With the ASHI podcast, we hope to share content that is relevant, novel, thought-provoking, and consistent with the diversity of perspectives that we seek with ASHI. A special thanks goes out to the editorial team and, of course, to Shea for their ongoing support. We hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Priya Nori, the Deputy Editor of Antimicrobial Stewardship and Healthcare Epidemiology, the new open access journal from the Society of Healthcare Epidemiology of America. I'm Medical Director of Antimicrobial Stewardship and OPAT at the Montefiore Health System in the Bronx, New York. I'm joined today by a team of several esteemed ASHI editorial colleagues or collaborators, starting with Dr. Bradley Langford, Dr. Kelly Madsen, and Dr. Khalid El Jali. Welcome, guys. So today we're going to be discussing their highly anticipated and really fantastic article that they recently published in ASHI entitled 10 Ways to Make the Most of World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, which is November 18th through the 24th, 2022. Welcome to our esteemed guests and colleagues. It's really great to have you today. So my first question is gonna be for you, Dr. Langford. Tell us who you are and what your antibiotic personality is. And if you could give us some background on the quiz you created, which so many of us stewards uh, enjoy at least annually, uh, we'd love to hear about that. Thanks so much, uh, Priya, for the introduction. And it's uh, a pleasure to join you today on this podcast. My name is Brad. I'm an antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist specialist in Toronto, Canada. And my antibiotic personality is I'm penicillin. So my description says that I'm a wise old soul who is not as effective as I used to be. I'm narrow-minded or at least narrow spectrum. And people tend to think that they have sensitive reactions to me, but it's often them and not me. So this quiz is actually a personality quiz that I started in 2017 during World Antimicrobial Awareness Week back then. And we did this as a fun and engaging way to appeal to not only us ID clinicians, but other healthcare professionals and non-clinicians alike. So Dr. Mary Rose Laguiovila from Rochester helped me out in creating at least, I think we have eight or 10 different antibiotic personalities that you can map to. And so um, I guess what we could do is share the link to the personality quiz in the show notes so that listeners can check it out. Excellent. Thank you so much, Brad. And yes, we certainly will link to the quiz in the show notes. Next, we have Dr. Kelly Matson. Kelly, tell us about yourself, what you do, and uh, what brings you here today. Sure. Um, I'm a clinical pediatric pharmacist, and I also am a clinical professor at the University of Rhode Island. I um, do specialize in pediatric infectious disease at my clinical site, and I am cephazolin because I am well-tolerated and a good friend and hardworking However, I get a little overwhelmed with my inoculum effect, so I don't like people uh, all the time. So, but I definitely are good for MSSA and surgical prophylaxis. Fantastic, thank you. And next, over to you, Dr. El Jolly. Tell us about yourself, specifically your practice setting, because I think it's a little bit new for us. And then finally, what antibiotic are you? 
Sure. I am Khalid. I am a consultant, uh, infectious disease uh, pharmacist, and associate professor at King Abdulaziz University and Hospital in uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And I'm involved with uh, antibiotic stewardship in uh, my hospital and uh, some work with uh, stewardship nationally and uh, internationally recently. I am clindamycin. I know many people don't like this medication. It says in the website that I have many skills. I hope so. And uh, I'm not afraid to share my opinions. And this is this sometimes makes people uncomfortable. So talking about the GI side effect of clindamycin, probably. That's great. Thank you so much. Incidentally, I am azithromycin this time around. And uh, it said that is because I'm atypical. So we'll leave it at that. But um, before we actually get into your uh, hot take on the 10 ways to make the most out of World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, I'd like to ask you guys, basically, how did you all meet? How did you become collaborators in the stewardship world? Let's provide some context for our audience. Well, I met uh, Khalid and yourself, Priya, on Twitter. I think this connection goes back many years. And uh, I hope that we actually get to meet in person one day. What I did is I, I did a Twitter advanced search and looked for the first documented interaction that I had with Khalid because I know Khalid the longest. And it actually goes back to January the 2nd, 2016. And we were nerding out on Twitter about the appropriate creatinine clearance cutoff for nitrofurantoin. So that's a bit of history between me and uh, Khalid. I met Kelly through ASHI, as well as a lot of other great uh, members of the ASHI editorial board. So don't keep us in the dark here. What is the appropriate creatinine clearance cutoff? Oh, yeah. What did you get so, well, I think I was actually settled on 40 milliliters per minute, but I, I think there's a bit of controversy in, in the literature still. So some are still using a, a higher cutoff. Khalid, maybe your opinion has changed since uh, 2016. Yeah, we are talking about net for Antoine, creatinine clearance, right? Yeah, uh, there is a debate, as you said, but uh, now many references change the cutoff to 30, sometimes higher. Yeah, I think that's what we're using as well. Incidentally, for our audience, if you don't already follow these two on Twitter, they have massive followings. They are leaders in the field of specifically using social media to share your work and stewardship. So do give them a follow. That's where I came to first meet them, as, as Brad had uh, referenced and I'm, I'm just massive fans, so it's, it's so great to have you guys. So the next, um, the question to kind of kick off our discussion officially, I'm going to pose to Kelly, which is, uh, tell us what World Antimicrobial Awareness Week is, and why is it so important for folks like us to be involved and spread that message? Sure. It's, you know, definitely you're saying World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. It's important really in the aim to try to reduce antimicrobial resistance. And the real idea is, is to sort of get behind with prescribers as well as the public and even policymakers just try to tackle antimicrobial resistance. And so just really bringing awareness to it. Okay, great. Thank you. And so next over to you, Khalid. What are some ways that we can share the messages during World Antibiotic Awareness Week that are impactful and hit close to home? So impactful and hit close to home. So we discussed in the paper how probably instead of um, focusing too much on the 
antimicrobial resistance impact on the society, maybe we should shift the focus to make it more personal. Because this way, likely, people are going to care more. So, for example, we can you know, share messages about the side effects of these antibiotics uh, on the person. The impact of resistance later on, on the person. So we're talking about limiting and changing the future options of antibiotic to treat resistant infections. In addition, maybe the disturbances that happen in the microbiome for each uh, person. So we thought maybe this way people are going to care more because they are not talking about something that ha happened to others, but uh, themselves. Great. Thank you. So next question is for you, Brad. I'd like to know how you got this team together, first of all, and how you guys all came up with this idea for this article and how you feel that it aligns well with the theme of this year's World Antimicrobial Awareness Week which is preventing antimicrobial resistance together. So I think what we wanted to do was make this something that would be engaging and some, an article that people could read and look back on as an important and instructive opportunity to help contribute a little bit more during World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. So what we thought would be a top 10 approach, so listing some of the top 10 considerations that stewards and others can, can, can think about when planning World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. And when thinking about, you know, working together to prevent antimicrobial uh, resistance, we thought about the importance of interdisciplinary care. So talking not just about us as we all have, happen to be pharmacists, but including the prescribers, thinking about nurses and other healthcare professionals. And even beyond that, recognizing that antimicrobial resistance is a one health issue and that there's this interconnectedness between the environment, animals, and human health. So we did try to include a bit of a lens uh, from that perspective in the article. That's fantastic. Thank you. I want to kind of stay on that a little bit longer. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, which is, you mentioned reframing what it means to err on the safe side when considering antibiotic use. Tell our audience what you meant by that. So yeah, we often hear about antibiotics being prescribed just in case or just to be on the safe side. But I think underpinning this practice is that there's this assumption that when there's a low likelihood of infection, but there's a little bit of uncertainty, the benefits of antibiotics are always going to outweigh their risks. So there's a bit of a concern with that assumption. And we know that with the growing risks that we're hearing about in the literature associated with antibiotic overuse, most notably antimicrobial resistance, but also adverse events and C. difficile infections, we really need to shift our mindset a little bit and recalibrate what we mean by uh, benefits versus risks of antibiotics. So, of course, there are some exceptions in certain situations where, you know, antibiotic initiation rapidly is very important, you know, patients with hemodynamic instability, for example. But perhaps a new way of thinking about erring on the safe side is to assume uh, the risks do often outweigh the benefits in many situations. And a good example that we often hear about is confusion in a stable patient who has asymptomatic bacteriuria. And prescribers will often assume antibiotics are needed unless proven otherwise. Perhaps it should be the reverse, that we assume that we can monitor, look for other causes, watch and wait, and assume that antibiotics are not needed unless proven otherwise. Very interesting and thought-provoking. 
So as a follow-up question for you, Khaled, who are the groups that you think you need to engage both in your hospital setting, but also maybe in the community to disseminate that type of message that um, that Brad had just mentioned? So I believe, um, obviously, the prescribers, uh, physicians, uh, and pharmacists, but also nurses and uh, other healthcare professionals. In addition, the public, policymakers, really everyone needs to be involved. So Kelly, now over to you. Since you, like I, are sort of an OG member of the ASHI editorial team, are there any recent ASHI publications that you feel might be helpful for communicating the message regarding World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, of course, in addition to, to the article we're discussing today? Yes, recent ASHI publications have definitely stressed the importance of antimicrobial stewardship awareness. Gullen found while anti-ambulatory care center staff largely knew the term antimicrobial stewardship, there were many opportunities to improve what their knowledge about appropriate antibiotic use was. And a similar um, in Manning et al. In, in the ASHI Journal demonstrated how patient simulation can improve nursing student awareness of their role within antimicrobial stewardship. And also additional publications really shared um, opportunities to improve stewardship within the dental community as well, where their improved awareness and access of evidence-based guidelines could really improve their prescribing behavior. Fabulous. Thank you. So we will include those article links as well in the show notes. And just to remind everyone that because we are an open access journal, one of the key benefits is that anyone can access any article anytime. And so we are really here to bring the content to the people across the world. So I'm going to pivot a little to our, for better or for worse, favorite topic, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. And while we're in a different stage of things now, there are certainly lots of lessons to be learned. And Brad, you publish a ton on this, and you're truly one of the leaders in the field when it comes to understanding what worked well that can be applied to future situations. In the article, you mentioned that we have a lot to learn about COVID-19 when promoting awareness about AMR. Can you expand on that and maybe give some examples? Sure. So one fact I think or at least I hope is solidified in everyone's mind post-COVID or during the COVID-19 pandemic, is that antibiotics do not treat viral infections. So there's this opportunity to harness that knowledge that's been repeated over and over during COVID-19 for other predominantly viral infections where we often use antibiotics inappropriately. So things like bronchitis or sinusitis. And even the fact that pneumonia can be viral in nature is an important learning point that we can take from COVID-19 and apply that going forward to future cases. And one other thing I think is that we saw firsthand the devastation that an infectious disease can have from COVID-19. And we know that COVID won't be the last pandemic. So I think one of the learnings here is that we really need to put a greater emphasis on resourcing in preparing for and mitigating the spread of other dangerous pathogens like antimicrobial resistance. I do want to take a second to highlight the fact that Brad and his colleagues were one of the first groups to really make the connection between the low risk of bacterial co-infections and COVID-19. 
And so that kicked off basically a whole new field of study within stewardship and within COVID for our antimicrobial stewardship community. So thank you for your leadership on that. So speaking of the apocalypse, the next question is for you, Khalid. What are some caveats about this awareness campaign? So what are some of the things that maybe we as stewards don't do so well? And is it necessarily the right way to go in terms of messaging to focus on the doom and the gloom of AMR? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, first of all, we commented in the paper that uh, we believe that the messages should be based on scientific evidence. Because, for example, one common message is that people have to take the whole course, very long courses, whether or not they improved uh, rapidly or not. But we we learned and now it's... uh, it changed, and you you see that in the maybe re- recent guideline, in the recent messages, that uh, actually you can discontinue and stop the course much earlier, especially with rapid improvement. And uh, we are seeing a large number of studies, including randomized control trials, showing that shorter courses, as good as long courses, uh, in the majority of um, infections. In addition, many of these campaigns. They have an impact, but maybe it's not long-standing. They are not evaluated, and its experience and uh, impact are not published anywhere. Uh, Finally, spreading the fear is not enough, uh, but also we need to empower those people to encourage actions rather than apathy. Thank you. So I'm going to stay with you, actually, since you have the ball. What are you most excited about in terms of either social media campaigns, or even on the ground grassroots campaigns pertaining to AMR and stewardship that we can harness during this week? I believe, I really like the Twitter chats. So just yesterday, there was one by Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists, uh, CDC, and other organization. And you will see a lot of uh, these chats uh, these days with a lot of interactions. In addition, I think uh, I like uh, short and uh, simple videos for the uh, public. What do you think, Brad? Anything you have to add? So I've been working with the Network for Coordinated AMR Awareness in Canada, the Go Blue Color Campaign, which is a World Health Organization uh, campaign that started last year And the aim of this is to make antibiotic resistance more visible by encouraging people to wear the color light blue during World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, change their social media profiles to light blue, and illuminate landmarks in light blue on November the 24th, which is the close of Antimicrobial Awareness Week. And unfortunately, I think it happens to coincide with Thanksgiving in the U.S. this year. So to date in Canada, though, we have 40 landmarks that are lighting up Blue during World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, including Niagara Falls, the CN Tower. And we're aiming to share this broadly on social media and in the general media to help um, spread the message about uh, this important campaign. Wow, that is truly impressive. I can't wait to see the images from space. I think that'll be so cool. Speaking of social media, another one of our luminaries who is on social media lots, who's Dr. Debbie Goff who is also an ASHI contributor. Um, She had this great idea for partnering with other 
you know, non-medical groups potentially to increase awareness or have our own logos and things like that. What do you think about that? What can we be doing to partner with some of these external organizations to get some branding going? Kelly, do you have uh, any ideas about that? I think what like I have seen just even locally is and regionally within New England for myself is, is similar to what Brad said is um, using some of the CDC resources, being able to sort of translate those to local prescribers, looking at antibiograms, working with the State Department of Health to ultimately provide that information to the public um, in palatable social media sites, commercials, things of that nature to really um, spread that word. So I think that those kind of things I think are exciting for me to sort of see locally. Right. So just to follow up on that, Brad, you had mentioned that one of the, the things that we need to focus on is personalizing the message. How can we do a better job of that? Yeah, so I think um, Khalid had some great suggestions about how we can personalize messaging related to antimicrobial resistance. I think one of the important things is to make it clear that antimicrobial resistance can happen to anyone. There's this common concern that, or this common belief that antimicrobial resistance is so distant in the future. We hear these quotations about, you know, 10 million deaths a year by 2050. Well, that seems very far off to other people. And people think, okay, this is a problem in low and middle income countries. It's true, but it's also a problem right here and right now. So we want to shift the focus to this is actually happening currently, and it's undermining the healthcare system. There's a great report called the Welcome Report on Reframing Resistance, and we can put a link to that in the show notes, that talks a lot about practical messaging that we can use to talk about resistance with patients and with providers in a way that's more impactful. So another way I think is useful to make it more personal is to share patient stories. So Infectious Disease Society of America and Combat EMR have some nice websites that help to put a face to antimicrobial resistance and show that this is a very real and very current problem. Right. I believe that's called a Faces of Resistance campaign, which is so well done. A couple of years ago, we actually tried to do something similar with our medical students where we brought a panel of AMR survivors, including um, a patient who had uh, survived a, a terrible NTM infection and her experience taking antibiotics, including uh, aminoglycosides, which subsequently made her lose hearing in an ear. And we talked about a, we brought a guest who was a family member of someone who succumbed to C. diff. And um, so we thought, uh, we thought that was particularly powerful. We had subsequently had to switch to a, an online uh, virtual platform for that um, that seminar, but um, we plan to keep that going for sure. So I want to pivot for a second to kind of the future of World Antimicrobial Awareness Week and various platforms that we use to promote this. At the time of this recording, you know, platforms like Twitter not having the greatest go at it right now, but what does that mean for us as healthcare providers, as folks focused on AMR and stewardship, is this still our home or do we need to look for other ways to get the message out? Khalid, let's start with you. What are your thoughts as like a, a really huge luminary on social media? What's your next move when it comes to keeping the message going? 
For me, I really like social media. I think uh, one of the main advantages is that it, um, you know, made the gap between us, the healthcare profession and the public smaller. Because if we don't have social media, it's difficult really to reach to the public. Now you can reach them very easily. You know, people are already communicating with each other in social media, asking even non-healthcare professionals about uh, what they complain about, what you recommend for treatment. So I don't think the healthcare professionals should uh, be away from social media, but they should be part of it and um, be there for any questions and uh, spreading uh, awareness using those social media. Kelly, do you have uh, particular thoughts on how you plan to consume social media for uh, professional purposes or for stewardship awareness going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think COVID basically really does describe the idea that as healthcare professionals, just these two are giants in the field, right? But to the point of trying to take that step forward and really with podcasts as we're doing now, but even social media is really just getting to maybe some of that misinformation that could be out there, really putting things that we've talked about, like a face or to that resistance and really making it personal but then really being the healthcare professional to sort of help in the sense of trying to get away from that misinformation that could be out there. Brad, I'm going to give you the last word on this question. Yeah, I think um, both both Colleen and Kelly had um, some really important points. And I wanted to pick up on the importance of being mindful of us infectious disease clinicians operating in an echo chamber. And we often feel like we might be preaching to the choir when we're sharing awareness messaging. So it's important to think about platforms and approaches that reach beyond us infectious disease clinicians. So one of the things that uh, you know we did with the with uh, the personality quiz was share that as broadly as we could, and encourage others to share that with their colleagues as well. And we found that 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 personality quiz had reached beyond uh, simply infectious disease professionals. That a large proportion of participants were students were non-clinicians altogether. So that was an important thing to, that we found. Similarly, what I'm doing with my, where I work at my hospital, is I'm doing a, a contest for World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, where staff can enter the contest by taking a selfie of them wearing the color light go blue campaign, or taking a photo of the landmark illuminated in blue, encouraging them to share it on social media, and then taking those entries and putting them into a raffle. So. This is kind of a small but uh, a simple way to engage others that, that may not be typically part of the, the messaging around uh, World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. I can't wait to see that come together. I'm definitely going to hold out on existing social media platforms so I can see those posts specifically for that. So I guess the message then for our readers is this is still a very good place for the positive work being done to promote antimicrobial awareness and stewardship and AMR. So let's see where this goes. The next question I have actually for the three of you, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what might be for our readers, one specific low-hanging fruit activity that they can adopt immediately anticipating the week kicking off later uh, this week. So one thing I would suggest is to start small. You don't really need to invent, reinvent the wheel because there's a lot of great resources that are already existing out there, for example, through the CDC, 
the WHO has information for clinicians and patients alike. ID Stewardship, who's, which is a website run by Tim Gauthier, has some fun activities like emoji games to figure out what the emojis mean in terms of um, infections or microbes. And, you know, something as simple as where you work in your facility, changing your screensavers or using the video screens to include some messaging related to antimicrobial awareness is an easy thing to do that doesn't take a huge amount of effort. From my own state, New York State, they actually had, the health department had a campaign in with school children where they had a contest to create a superhero called Antibiotic. And uh, basically the winner had then uh, was commissioned to make the poster for a World Antibiotic Awareness Week. And that's been basically promoted widely throughout New York State. And we were going to do similarly, which is like make it the screensaver for the the hospital computers for a while. And um, yeah, I thought that was something that was really cute, engaging school children, which was neat. And uh, yeah, I feel like you really can't go wrong. Okay, so then for our final question to close out um, our discussion on World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, I'd like to ask all of you, what do you plan to do to keep the momentum going throughout the year. So Brad, you mentioned at, at, in the conclusion of, of this piece that one of the things we need to do is to see how we can continue to, to focus on this throughout the year. So how do you plan to all do that? And Howard, let's start with you. I mean, awareness about antimicrobial resistance shouldn't be just during the uh, World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. It should be throughout um, the year. Of course, uh, given the importance of the antimicrobial resistance, it was giving a, a whole week, not just one day, like many other awareness days. But I think it should continue throughout the year. And there are many opportunities. For example, uh, during our daily work, health professionals, whenever we, we see any inappropriate use, I think we should, you know, discuss that, uh, spread the awareness, you know, uh, review the evidence and, and share that and have a healthy discussion on how to promote best practices and optimize antimicrobial therapy. So whether inside the hospital with healthcare professional, or we should not, of course, forget use outpatients because this is a, a big part in animals and uh, many other areas. Kelly, what do you think? How are you going to keep the momentum going all year round? I think in a sense of just jumping to what Khalid said, of course, like talking to your colleagues, your healthcare professionals, thinking about that. But I'm thinking it from an even curriculum, right, from a standpoint of students, making sure that we're consistently talking about it, consistently getting that message out and having that like disseminate, but even having that conversation with others not just our healthcare professional students, but ultimately educating like your neighbor and your family and things of that nature to really sort of hit home some of the things Khalid talked about. It's not just, yes, it is human impact, but it has, you know, food industry impact and it has like other impact along the way that it's definitely just not something that, as Brad said, that it's out there for a long term, it, it's really happening now and how we can educate others to sort of do that and think about that. Brad, what about you? 
I really love um, Kelly's example of engaging students in the process. I give a few lectures a year on antimicrobial stewardship for students in pharmacy. And uh, we live in Toronto, which is a very multicultural city. So when I was talking about one of the resources that we developed for primary care uh, practice related to appropriate medication use, uh, appropriate antibiotic use, and shared decision-making, one of the students came up to me after the lecture and said, you know, we'd really like to translate this into Chinese. We could do simplified and traditional Chinese and have these resources available on websites that people who speak and read Chinese can access. So that was a really good connection that we've made and able to propel that resource into a totally different audience. And I think another example is using Antimicrobial Awareness Week as an excuse or a jumping off point to launch new resources. So where I work, one of the resources that we developed, we're really focused on how we can improve stewardship in the primary care setting. So we've created a list of seven antimicrobial stewardship strategies that are evidence-based in primary care and created these infographics, which we are launching this week during World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, but they will continue to be, hopefully continue to be useful for months and years to come. And so we used uh, Awareness Week as the the jumping off point for that uh, launch. Looking forward to seeing those things. That's great. And borrowing exhaustively. One thing for me that uh, I took away from your article that I feel as if I need to pivot and change my strategy on is the abstract. So I realized that I've been speaking in the abstract when it comes to AMR for for a long time. I think going forward, I'm going to try to do a better job um, throughout the year of really contextualizing and finding specific patient examples or community examples of actual people and trying to make it less of an abstract threat and more of a real everyday situation that we're going to have to contend with as you spell out so nicely in your article. Okay, so just to wrap up our really awesome discussion here on World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, what is one take-home point from your really fantastic article that you want to leave the audience with, starting with you, Kelly? Mine would really be the first few. Think globally, act locally, needing to make it distinct and really sort of focused on what you're seeing in the community. I would just reiterate to, if you haven't already, to check out Welcome's Reframing Resistance Report. It has some really great things to consider when you're talking about antimicrobial resistance and very common mistakes that we will often make that we don't realize are mistakes. So I think it's a really useful and instructive report. I guess I will repeat the World Antimicrobial Awareness Week uh, 2022 theme, preventing antimicrobial resistance together. Fantastic. There's so many layers to unfold there, but that is great advice. So with that, I'd like to thank our esteemed guests today, uh, Dr. Kelly Madsen, Dr. Bradley Langford, Dr. Khalid El Jali, and of course, our director of Shea Publications, Lindsay McMurray, our editor-in-chief of ASHI, Dr. Gonzalo Bierman, and of course, to our, um, our wonderful audience. Check out all of these publications mentioned in ASHI, especially the brand new drop from this group, which is 10 ways to meet the most out of World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. We'll see you next time, folks. <laughs>